Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now, the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Good evening and welcome to Sugar and Silk, brought to you exclusively by Ace Podcast Nation. My name is Ben Doughty. I'm Michael Silk. Hola, today. Looking resplendent as ever, Silk. I like the silver eye patch this time. Oh, this old thing? Sure. Stop, stop. <laughs> In any case, um, fashion, you know, fashion uh, considerations aside, accessories aside, we are waiting to be joined by former WBA champ and the first man to put Roy Jones on the deck as a professional, Lewis Honeyboy Delval. He's not here just yet, but uh, he should be coming imminently. And as soon as he joins us on the screen, we will proceed. Um, did you catch the Showtime card last night, Michael, in the meantime? I um, did not. I have to say I did not. What exactly? Was, yeah, give, me the, give me the 411. Well, see, it, it sounded like it was a great card. I've, I've only managed to find highlights in, you know, on YouTube in the UK. I don't have Showtime. It was on the Fight TV app in this country which I, I didn't choose to, to, to buy on this occasion. But um, Mark Magseo and Brandon Figueroa put on a highly entertaining scrap by all accounts, and certainly from the highlights I've seen, you know. Um, the undercard was great. Jarrett Hurd, who's now not won a fight for three years, got upset in the uh, loss to a guy called Resendez. Uh, not expected. You know, a, a former unified champ is the term nowadays. He used to have three of those belts at like middleweight Jarrett Hurd. I remember yeah. first well, during the fight, he was on the bill against a, an English lad. Um, and he was his, his star was high. And then obviously that's the way the game goes, right? Right now he looks like yesterday's man. Uh, you're talking about Jarrett Hurd? Jarrett Hurd, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's It's really unfortunate, but you could see the writing on the wall, in fact. He's like... He wasn't a kid with big power, but he is a guy with high work ethic and he's always coming forward and he doesn't really show any defensive attributes. If I, if I recall it right, um, he throw a lot of punches. He was tough. He was in your face and it's a very entertaining style to have, but it's not a style that gives way to longevity in boxing. And, and uh, yeah, and I think that, probably his biggest problem. I, I couldn't understand. I, I remember watching his fights and he was taking these 
shots flushing the mug. And I, and I can't understand how your trainer doesn't get you in the gym the next day and start teaching you about blocking and slipping punches. This well, should have been done in the amateurs. In the amateurs, this should have been done. Never mind, like, as a professional. And, and he's a nice kid. You know what I mean? You, you just hate to see. You know what's going, what the story is going to be 10, 15 years down the road. You just see it. Yeah, when you talk about, when you say, you know, the story's going to be 10, 15 years down the road, you're referring to dementia and, you know, cerebral deterioration and all the associated yeah. problems. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, the thing about that, occasionally we seem to see anomalies. You get a guy like Jake LaMotta who was famed for being, you know, this anvil-chinned face-first catcher, legendary, mm -hmm. who seems to be relatively bright as a button in his dotage up into his 90s. Yeah. Yeah, he was. And then you yeah. get the other guys like Wilfred Benitez, who was El Raider, you know, this, this mm -hmm. almost this diaphanous ability to avoid punishment, supposedly, yeah. who, who wound up in a bad way. So yeah. I think uh, genetics and, and the luck of the draw probably plays. Uh, yeah, well, I, mean, I mean, look, J uh, Jake also had, a, I mean, I'm sure if you measured their cranium, he probably had a thicker cranium than Wilfred Benitez. There are so many things, not only just. You know what I mean? Whether your brain gets hurt or not. I mean, there's so many other things involved. And and there's there's one thing that I know Wilfred used to slip a lot of punches, but but Jake used to ride a lot of punches too. You and know he, what? I was mm -hmm. hoping you'd say that because yeah. the, the truth is, as well as anything else, Lamotta was more evasive than people think and Benitez yeah. wasn't quite as evasive as people think. Yeah. True? Yeah, yeah. He, he get, I mean, Wilfred was incredibly elusive, but the thing is he, his focus wasn't always there. And, no. and he he would get dropped in the gym and and you know and not just once or twice it would be a common thing <clears throat> and and in those days when we used to spar so like if you get dropped you give once you clear the fog you go bam right back they don't even give you you know you get ten seconds and you're right back in there and you're sparring again and so those kinds of um, that's never healthy for you you know what I mean and and again yes yeah. Wilfred isn't built the same he just isn't physically that same thickness that's that kind of strength that uh that jake had but that's what's so interesting about boxing because of the your ability to your resiliency whether you have it or not that just that pretty much decides what style and what way you're going to fight and so that's everyone has a different way to hunt you know what i mean that's what's so beautiful about the uh the, the uh, science yeah um it's interesting as well Somebody, there's a there's a guy, uh, a broadcaster in America. He's on Facebook. Good guy, friendly guy. You've probably heard of him. His name is James Edward Smith. They call him Smitty. He, he had a thing called In This Corner years ago. But he was saying that, that you know, that the um, defensive attributes of the sweet science were certainly not lauded or recognized in last night's card. But it did make for highly entertaining fights, you know. Yeah, yeah. Main event, Figueroa versus Magsayo. And there is something in that, isn't there? You know, you look at a fight like Getty Ward one or any of them, but particularly yeah. the football fight, and you think if they were any, if they were defensive geniuses, this just wouldn't happen. You look at Floyd Mayweather dissecting a Robert Guerrero or any of you know his fights in the last se several years of his career, and you think that <clears throat> there's no way you could ever feature in a war like that, like you know yeah. uh, Castillo or Getty Ward, because yeah. he just doesn't get hit that often. He never would. So yeah. there is that kind of rocky esque appeal that fighters with porous defenses have, sure. right? Well, what would you rather? What would you rather see, Ben? Would you rather see two fighters who have a hundred percent, like their offense is incredible? Let's say Hagler Hearns, yeah. but they also have great defensive instincts and, and abilities. Would you rather see that, or would you rather see 
two guys like, you know, Arturo Gatti, for instance, who aren't big on defense and everything, but they, you'd rather see a guy's exchange or you'd rather see guys throw with intent and made to miss and encountered. I'd rather see the high level and the, the creme de la creme, like Leonard Hearns or Hagler Hearns. Um, mm -hmm. the, 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 as much as I love the Getty Ward trilogy and, and, and so many of Getty's fights, and, and Matthew Sam Mohammed, same thing, you know, what's not to love. Yeah. Yeah. But ultimately, my heart is where, when, when all the bases are loaded and you have these extreme competencies come, competencies come together, that's what really turns me on. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way too. I'd rather see, uh, you know, the um, the skill part of it, like slipping the punches and the countering and the and the, uh, the intelligent part of boxing. Cause, John you know, Scully, the recent guest on this show, he said, what would you show to aliens or outsiders who had no knowledge of boxing whatsoever mm -hmm. if you had one shot and one fight you could show them, high, high level or otherwise, that, that encapsulates boxing in, all, in its true essence? Yeah. He yeah. said, what would you show them? And he always said he would show them the first Mike McCallum, James Tony fight. He said, that's the one for me. Wow. But, you know, for, um, me, uh, for me, I would probably go Ali Frazier one. Yeah. And, you know, and, and Ali lost that fight and it was, a, you know, but it just showed that they both showed just so much character and so much ability. And and it was just an incredibly, even the crowd, every part of that fight was just, it was magnanimous. <laughs> well, it, was, it was an extraordinary event, wasn't it? You know, the, the build up and, and the happening itself. You know, the fact that when you've got Frank Sinatra retained to take pictures for a magazine, <laughs> and that's his way of getting a free ticket. That, yeah. You know, yeah. oh, and it shows man, that, you the, the uh, magnitude of the event. Could you imagine that place must have been rocking? That must have, I mean, it, no doubt it was. I was only, I was a year old when that took place, that fight. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think the world was a different place, it was edgier then because we don't, it's wonderful we have these telecommunications we've got now, and I can talk to you. I, that's massive mm -hmm. to me. I yeah. always go on about it. You know, I still remember the Cow magazine covers, you and I are friends today, and that's that is really cool. But yeah. there was something edgier about the world when we didn't have all this at the tip, tip of our fingers. There was right. something more, things were more genuine in some ways. Things don't yeah. seem as genuine now, like music, fashion, boxing. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Culture. You, you know what it is? No, you're absolutely right, Ben. Uh, you know, you get it's, it's funny because the internet leads to all sorts of things. And you get on and you make a comment, and then someone comments on it, and and all of a sudden they're calling you all sorts of names. And I'm like, they, you can't even debate with people. Like you can't debate with people because they have no like decorum. They have they have no. Have you been trolled? Have you been trolled? Like you and nothing special. I've been trolled, but I've definitely, I've definitely people talk to me like like they're mad. I'm like. <laughs> they really are i'm like i'm like wow okay i mean really it's the, for me it's water off a duck's back because i i know that what i've done in my career has like these guys they're talking about it the fact that they're even getting the opportunity to say that to me is you know what i mean yeah it really, um, it really it shouldn't even be it's not even reality but but the fact we are discussing something and we're discussing something that i happen to be extremely experienced in and these people are absolutely not experiencing, but what they're feeling is, what they're feeling is, well, that's exactly it. They're feelings. They are feeling, and they're not really analyzing. Like, I'll say something about a certain fighter, and they'll say, well, you are a journeyman, and you're a bum, so what do you know about it? Okay. <laughs> but, but yeah, uh, Michael, I've never, even when people are far more polite than that, I've actually never known you say, the time I've been interacting with you on, on uh -huh. Facebook, I've never known you say, well, I know more about it than you do because I've yeah. been there. 
Listen, man, I fought Tommy Hearns. I've been 15 rounds with Frank Tate. Don't you think I know this? I've never heard you say there might be someone who's never boxed ever or had three amateur fights. I've never heard, I've never seen you pull rank and be like, well, you wouldn't know. Not not once. Yeah. You know, because I, I tend to think that if you if you have to rely on that in order to discuss what's real with somebody, then it's not even worth the discussion. And 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 it's just it's always shown to be that every single time. Every time, every time they every time they try to impress themselves upon me with, you know what I mean? And, and they're just talking BS. We know what it is, but uh, I know it's, it's really, I'm stunned half the time when I hear people talking or coming out of their mouth and, and they're even giving opinions. I mean, I mean, I understand they are like fanboys. you know what I mean? It's like they're fans of certain fighters and they feel that if you, if you give an opinion, not even a critique, but if you give an opinion on that fighter, then all of a sudden they get extremely defensive and people that get defensive or when you're when you're when you're discussing something it's not like <clears throat> you really wonder where you know what's the sense of debating it's not even an issue anymore so no matter what they say whether they say something good to me or whether they say something bad about me I, it doesn't qualify with me. It doesn't register. I don't say, no, you know, no, if this guy says to me, oh, you were great. You were there. Thank you very much. That's really great. But you know what I mean? When a fighter says to me, you were this, you were that, you are this, then I'm going to be like, oh, okay. Whether it's bad or, you know what I mean? Then I, then I, at that point, because they know what it takes to get there, I may, I may take exception to it. If a fighter says, ah, you're a bum, you're that, 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 like this, I was like, okay, let's talk about it. <laughs> well, otherwise, they used to really say, right, I mean, never mind internet trolls. There used to be a question in boxing news when they used to do a quick fire interview with a with a boxer, usually a current boxer at the back of the magazine, and they'd say, "What's the worst thing you've ever read about yourself?" And they kind of meant, let's talk incredible terms in the old mm -hmm. media. Let's not talk about the internet. What is the worst or most deflating thing you've ever read about yourself, or you think most inaccurate? You know, um, it's funny. I, I remember it stuck out to me. There's one guy, Kevin Monaghan, and he was the head of NBC, and. Uh, <clears throat> of sports world, like I used to fight on NBC on the weekends, right? And I fought, I lost to Frank Tate, and then I had some fights, and then I fought in March, I fought Iran Barkley. And after the fight, I'm, 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 I'm on my way out of town, but I pick up the paper, and he's and right there on the front page or whatever, he goes, Olajide should retire, he's not good anymore, he's da-da-da-da, and, and I'm like, okay, that's a vote of confidence. <laughs> I'm yeah. thinking, so what am I professionally supposed to do now that you just like put the nails in my coffin? Like yeah. you haven't, you've never boxed before. You've never done any of those things. And so you're an executive that like uh, says, yes, sir, green lights a fight. That fight was one of the highest rated fights that yeah. year on TV. And, and it was entertaining. People watched it. My, my star may have dipped in terms of me becoming that, that guy, you, you know what think I think mean? it was supposed to be. Yeah, exactly. That 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 thing that I was supposed to be, I wasn't that. But I mean, I'm still fighting not only for a living, but also because it's my love and it's my comp, uh, it's competitive. And I, yeah. and I, I don't think like that wasn't a walk through the park for Iran Barkley. He he got put on. You know what I mean? He, I dropped him too, and there was a lot of things going on in that fight that sure. a lot of people can see. So I, I don't I don't understand when people who don't know the fight game talk about it. I had never in my life talked about, you know, disparaging, disparagingly about an athlete um, 
maybe the superficial stuff like uh, he's with the Pittsburgh Steelers and you know what I mean? So you're going to talk smack about it jokingly. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. You know what I mean? But not like I, I can't sit there and, and have that discussion with a professional athlete about, you know, a, a professional football player about what it takes to make it as a football player because there's there's so many things that go on. The wheels we don't see turning, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think I think what we recognize is the things we don't know and the, and the subjects in which we're not experts on. You know, um, yeah. <clears throat> while we're still waiting, I got a message from Simon Flash up a little while ago uh-huh. uh, saying that he's he he'd actually forgotten it was it was this hour, but he he should be coming on imminently. Okay. And that also got a call from Natalie trying to get through, which probably made my screen freeze. Natalie, don't be silly. You know we do sugar and silk at nine o'clock. You, yeah. There's no excuse for that for that kind of. Wait, that's so, your Natalie. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah. Um, she was trying to call at one point, and that's why everything went black on, on my side. But um, oh, yeah, right apparently right. he's struggling with the tech, and, and Simon's trying to talk him through it. That's Lou. Lou okay. Lou's right, so on his way in. You know when I... Oh, re- go on. Sorry? Go on. Uh, I was going to say... Lou to me was always such an interesting guy. You know what I mean? Like there was, he's he's such he's he is New York. He is that New York fighter. He's he's tough. He's he's got that he's got that shine about him. He's got that he's got that. Puerto Rican Bronx, yeah, Bronx. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, unfortunately, my career was coming to an end as his was coming up. But you know what I mean? He was young and he fought in the amateurs and, and golden gloves and stuff like that and came through and, and, and he really got far. In a time when really not a lot – you think about New York City being the, the mecca of boxing and, and um, you expect there to be a more depth in terms of our fight, fighters. like Yeah, from the state, yeah. Yeah, from the states, from from a hundred and whatever five pounds of atom weight up to heavyweight, you always expect reputa- uh, representation of oh, fight New York. Yeah, and um, and it just it just doesn't happen to be that way. It's, that that always kind of threw me. Yeah, well, I, I think it. I think New York City supposedly. I don't know if this is a myth, by the way, but people always say in the nineteen twenties or in, in in one particular year in the nineteen twenties. They have more professional fighters in New York City registered than there is in the whole world today. That might be a myth, by the way. I, I regurgitate it sometimes, and, and I see other people do that. I yeah. need to check that to see if that's actually true, because so many things turn out not to be true, don't they, when you look into them? Absolutely true, but the fights all all over the world, boxing matches used to be much more hotly... I mean, you would end up with... Now you have like three fighters in the three, four, five fighters in the division. Uh, competing for the Golden Gloves. Never mind novice, open as well. These yeah. days, yeah, the numbers are so low, it's incredible. Back in the day, it was like you have upwards to at least 40, 50 guys competing yeah. in the Golden Gloves. You know what I mean? Like I remember the Golden Gloves this year, they got to the Garden so fast, whereas before they used to have, used to have like outside little clubs, they'd have to hold 
matches and and in different parts of the city all over the place you'd have somebody in brooklyn somebody in long island somebody in you know staten island and they put these fights on and people would come to them and, and there would be at least at least 25 promotions before you actually start getting to the you know before you start to the, the final but it's final the, the, the semi-finals or whatever yeah, I, yeah. I remember what a big deal it was winning the gloves just the new york golden gloves back in the day yeah, uh, I remember the big uh, clamour when Mark Breland won five, and that was a record yeah. until Danny Jacobs also equaled it. You know, uh, Mitch Blood Green won four, and he did get to a fifth final, but he got a cut. Apparently, he was telling me many yeah. years ago um, that he got a cut from a clash of heads or something like that, and then yeah. that stopped him from winning his fifth Golden Gloves title before Mark Breland did it. But um, yeah. but I do remember what a massive deal it was to the point where Breland was uh, waiting to go in the Olympics, and he was still. Oh in the Golden Gloves finals, you know, the New York Daily News Gloves yeah. finals. Mm-hmm. And some people in um, Ring Magazine were saying it was a bit of a mismatch and it was a bit of a sad state of affairs that Bruno, sorry, that Breland was going through these these guys like a hot knife through butter in, in yeah. the gloves when really he'd already beaten the Russian world champion, the amateur world champion and, yeah. and won everything else. Yeah, but, yeah. It, but it just had such a lot of prestige. I, I always also remember Jose Torres talking about the fanatical support the Golden Gloves had in the 60s and the 50s. He said that when he, because he won the gloves and then he went to, you know, he went to the Olympics and lost to Leslo Pat in the final in, in 76 in Melbourne. And then he obviously went and, you know, and won the World Light Heavyweight Championship. He said, but when he'd go back to the gloves sometimes at the Garden, after he won the World Light Heavyweight Championship, there were people there who only followed the gloves and they would see him and be like, whatever happened to you, man? Did you quit the game? You know, what are you up to these days? And he was yeah, like, well, yeah. I'm the head Light Heavyweight Champion of the World, if you if you must know, since you ask, you know. But, <laughs> but it showed you, like say, how fanatical that, that scene was then, which it just doesn't exist, no doubt, anymore today. Have you seen Jose Torres fight a lot? Do you know... I've seen more than a little bit of him, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I haven't really seen him fight before, except for, I mean, the highlights, obviously. But he doesn't really embody the style we know that Cuss kind of... Well, no, he, he kind of did. I mean, he would he, he had the, he definitely had the gloves there. And, yeah. And, and, and uh, the cheekbones. He definitely... He, had, he, was, he was a left hooker, and, a le- and, you know, he threw angle shots. And, uh-huh. and he didn't really fight like Patterson and Tyson to the same extent, but... He was still from that blueprint in terms of the head movement and the, yeah. the cuffed guard, for yeah. sure. Yeah, he seemed to be a much more straight up to me than I remember with those guys. But maybe that was just an adjustment because he was a tall, light heavyweight, right? It, it was more upright. I think that is fair to say. He was more upright, and I, th- I don't suppose the, the style suited him as much. I mean, you can see it. You can see it with Patterson. Um, I think the difference it made with Mike Tyson. The big difference was the shifts with Mike Tyson. You know, I can't do it on camera now because I'm restricted to this frame but you yeah. know what i mean when you put all your weight this side yeah and you swivel so you end up this side and you throw an uppercut you know what i mean I've, yeah yeah yeah. Probably, you probably know what i mean and I, just like only a handful of people actually do know what i mean so it's <laughs> kind of we're, we're just having a discussion now like in a bar or in a kitchen you know what, anyone that knows um has seen mike tyson fight you've seen that you know what i mean so yeah. you probably do understand what you're saying most everybody has seen mike fight and uh yeah he brought that to another level right those shifts and um, lomachenko yeah. Tony Ayala Jr. did them really well too. That shift in angle change, yeah. counter punch. Vasil yes. um, Lomachenko does them incredibly well and has, yes. you know, has done over the mm-hmm. last several years. Mm-hmm. I think probably best shifters ever. That's another. That's another kind of thread, isn't it? I would say Tyson, Ayala, Lomachenko. You got any others who were good at it? Um, they're like shifting. Oh, Aaron. Pryor. Yeah, almost that kangaroo-like jump to the side. You know what I mean? Yeah, Aaron Pryor was amazing with that. Pryor. 
Yeah, yeah, good shout. His his angles, the angles that he would get was just berserk. I mean, it was just insane. The kind of and his um, the level of intensity that he maintained through any fight, it was just it was bionic. I'm just like, wow. Where did that come from, Bapriya? That stamina, because I know. All right, we all know about the black bottle scandal with the bio fight. Yeah, but I think I think that had to have come, Ben. I believe that had to have come from. See, a lot of fighters throw punches, and they throw punches from their arm. They originate in the upper arm region. And when you see, um, when you see Aaron Pryor punch, he punches a lot with his turn of his body. So he's almost like he wings the shot, like he yeah. swings the shot, and he doesn't he doesn't lock he doesn't lock his arms to his body. So so they, he's using as much fuel in order to punch. He's, he's doing this, and Duran was amazing at that, too. And I believe that's Aaron Pryor and Roberto Duran. Um, they did that incredibly well. They'd be able to get in the ring and box anybody any number of rounds, James Tony as well, not even being in shape, just because they're, they're able to throw from their core. And it's much easier when you do that because, one, it's like the largest muscle group, and, and you're, um, you're able to sling the shot with your body, and it, it doesn't – cost as much you know it just it, it was you that said that to me um when i said um expanding on the notion that box the essence of boxing is rhythm and balance mm -hmm. when i said boxing was about the feet more than anything else you and you said no it's about the core yeah it really is it really is about the core ben i believe and and the other thing that boxing is more than anything it's it's i mean it's about your the timing is kept in your hands and people real people like say, well, your feet, you're this, that, and the other, and you got to make sure when you're punching hard, you have to. And yes, you do have to set your feet. Your foundation is an important part of it, but the hands keep your timing. And boxing is about the only profession that that the timing is kept in the hands, like exclusively. Yeah. And and if you can get that down, that's why these advanced combination punchers they understand that either innately or they've been taught it, but they understand that it's that it's the dexterity, it's being able to do this, and when you're able to let the how your opponent reacts to your punches, all, all those things, your distance, timing, yes, yeah, all good, but timing in the hands is number one. And boxing is about the only sport that does that. When you jump rope, timing's kept in your hands; it's not kept in your feet. True. You, you have to get your feet out of the way when you're jumping rope. That's the only thing you got to do with, with, you know what I mean? But it throws people because they, they want to jump first and turn later. No, it's, Yeah, that's what the problem is. Exactly. Turn first and then jump because you have to. Get your feet out of the way. And it's the same thing with that's boxing. The show. Exactly. Yeah, same thing with boxing. Punch first. He has to get his head out of the way. If he doesn't get his head out of the way, he gets hit. That's all there is to it. Yeah. Okay, you, you can imagine. You can imagine, Ben. I'm sorry to ramble on here, but if you're fighting somebody and and they're putting a bum rush on you, they're rushing forward. Man, a man can rush at me as forward as much as he wants, but once he starts throwing the punches, that's when I have to start reacting. Right. Well, that's true. Which is why, if you're getting bullied by aggression, that doesn't make sense, does it? That's an illusion. You're falling for a false narrative. Yeah, exactly. If, somebody, if they're not throwing punches at you, then you don't actually have to worry. Which yeah. is why. Which is why feints come in and make it a guy making you think he's going to throw a shot, which gets people to react and use up energy, etc., exactly. etc. Et but um, while we're still waiting for for the tech issues to be to be solved with our special guest this week, um, whether that's going to happen or not, I don't know at this stage. Um, <laughs> it looks like that the Fury, the Tyson Fury, Alexander Usyk um, standoff, stalemate negotiations. 
continue at, at that same kind of sluggish speed. Well, we are kind of knew that, right? Say again. We all kind of knew that. We I think so. It that. never felt. The only thing I would say is it didn't feel like the first Wilder Fury fight was coming off, and then next minute it was announced and it just happened. The rematch was something um, similar. Um, when it just, I mean, certainly Aram and Warren, Frank Warren and Bob Aram both seem to think there's too much social media talk about contracts and negotiations nowadays and purse splits. They think that they, they profess to believe the best way is to shut the fuck up and get on yeah. with it behind closed doors, yeah. let people know when it's signed. Aram doesn't believe in a whole lot of promotion is necessary if a fight's big enough these days. He said, but you know, he said Fury and Wilder are going to be at the Super Bowl on, on Super Bowl week. Um, that's going to be enough. We don't need to do press tours. You don't need to do press conferences. That was what Aaron was saying. Well, that certainly saves him a lot of money. That's for sure. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's why I leave a little bit of room for doubt whether they'll suddenly come out of the woodwork with it next week and announce it really is on for all the marbles. But I, it doesn't feel like it's going to happen. It hasn't felt that way for, for, for quite a few weeks now. Yeah. And uh, Fury is likely to fight, I assume, somebody else at Wembley on the April 29th, unless the date gets pushed back, which is also a possibility. But it's probably yeah. probable that Fury will fight someone like Joe Joyce, perhaps, on, yeah. on the 29th of April at Wembley Arena. Yeah, could Sorry, it be interesting? I don't think I've really, I don't think I've really, seen, I've heard of Joe Joyce. I don't think I've really seen him fight other than some highlights. Uh, what do you I think mean, of that? Is it an issue? It's, it's an entertaining matchup. I would expect Fury to win it. But Joe Joyce is a relentless, you'd look at him perhaps the first time and think he's limited, which is probably fair to say that he is. But he is relentlessly strong. He he takes one hell of a shot, like, like mm. he hasn't noticed it. And he's got a good aware of his own limitations, and he's you know he, he keeps it simple. He's got a decent jab, he's got a good sense of distance. He, yeah. He's extraordinarily fit as well. So he's like he does. He's been compared to George Foreman, which I think is a flattering comparison by some distance. But if he has Foreman-like aspects, it is he probably has better stamina, arguably, than George yeah. in the foundation of George. Punch like that? You mean George, the first version, the second yeah. version. Good, he right? doesn't. He doesn't punch quite that hard either. But his imperviousness to punishment and that kind of almost mummified kind of relentless march forward that he has, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think it's you know Joyce will be coming to win. He won't be coming to make up anybody. I mean, people can say Chisora came to win, but he was never going to win in a million years. You know, whereas yeah. Joyce is a live contender, challenger. Yeah. It is an interesting fight. You know, it's something I would I would be up for seeing. I, I, as long as they fight with reasonable regularity, Michael. Against some interesting opponents, I'm not too picky. We can, we don't yeah. have to nail it. I mean, these days we can't seem to nail any meaningful fight, you know. But um, yeah. we don't have to nail them all, as far as I'm concerned. The way things stand now, as long as fighters could just be a little bit more active and, yeah. and take on. I mean, the Chisora thing was meaningless, you know. And yeah. um, but well, it still happened because nobody's got nobody's. The fans don't seem to have that purchase power that makes a difference anymore. Yeah. Well, the money is the is both the blessing and the curse. In yeah. most of the situations, you know what I mean? It's like it's worth a lot, so the fight will get made, but then again, you know what I mean? Nobody wants to lose their old kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> losing is just really something that's just so obviously human, and all you can do when you lose is get better, really, and make yourself better, uh, yeah. with that kind of incentive. So the fear of losing is causing, you know, I mean, that's the problem with everything these days, really. But but you saw, you saw, I guess, four warnings of it when you were, uh, you say you lost to Aaron Barclay mm -hmm. and that Kevin Monaghan from NBC was saying that, that, that Elijah, they needs to retire now. 
yeah, that was yeah. part of the whole culture which which worsened over the decades where people yeah. were already writing your your fistic obituary when yeah. you took a reversal you know well, which, exactly. which would make you more inclined to be to not take risks right yeah. oh absolutely so there, there's no I, I can understand why fighters do it I mean, looking back in the day, like in the 70s, the 60s, the guys have like 9, 10, 15, 25 losses. And then they're still serious, you know what I mean? But, you know but what, Roy Robinson, when he lost to Ralph Tiger Jones in his in his comeback in 1955. Yeah. Um, sorry, no, sorry, when he, um, would that have been 55? Um, I believe it would have been, yeah, it would have been 1955. But in any case, when he lost to Ralph Tiger Jones, Jones was coming off five straight losses, apparently. But mm -hmm. Russell Peltz, when when speaking about that, said back then the TV executives knew that Ralph Tiger Jones could fight and they didn't care about him five losses because mm -hmm. they knew what they were doing. They knew what they were screening. He said mm -hmm. today that you wouldn't, you don't have that situation. You get these executives who are actually pretty clueless on the whole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boxing, you know. Yeah, yeah. And th th throughout the whole boxing diaspora from fans to even people that are working with fighters the level of the, the level of real true boxing knowledge isn't even listen as a fighter just because you're fighting it doesn't mean you know it takes a while like after you've retired or after a certain period of time because right now as a, as a fighter as a functioning fighter you're all about the ability you don't know you have this ability, but you don't. You haven't knowledge knowledgeized it. <laughs> Not and, and I think that's one of the things that you have obviously have done to to, to, to a, a, a spectacular level. Which is why your insights are rare, and, and why you, there's not everybody who can talk to you about boxing like Michael Elijah they can. Um, which is why you have a, a commodity value on that basis. Because don't get me wrong, as you can imagine, I've talked to plenty of. Uh, top fighters who talk an absolute load of rubbish, they, and and it's like, do you know better than them? Yes, I do. Honestly, I'm going to make yeah. that <laughs> because they haven't studied it as hard, and they yeah. don't have that kind of. They just don't perhaps have the intellect to to understand certain things. And uh, some 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 top boxers talk a load of rubbish. They yeah. literally do. It's emotional. It's yeah. it's knee jerk. Mm -hmm. It's tunnel yes. vision. It, you know. Yeah. It, um, so just the, the, there's fighters who achieved more than you who don't know who who, who relatively don't know squat about boxing uh -huh. because. It's not that simple, do you know what I mean? It's not yeah, just a question of having it in there. Yeah, it really isn't. There, there, there's so many things. I mean, boxing is the fight, and the, and life is the fight. The two just share so many, you know, uh, of the yeah. of those attributes. Yeah, and um, I don't know. I guess it's uh, it's really interesting when you look at when you look at individuals and you see all of a sudden like any fighter when you sit you sit if you if they've retired and they sit for like five six years seven years and all of a sudden, have a different perspective. Like it starts to sink in differently. What happened? I mean, you do have to be involved in the game still, like training fighters and watching how people learn. And, and um, so, so I kind of at one point I think this is probably why guys who have never fought before can can become good trainers because of the words uh, of what they see, what greats have done. And you could take that and use that. There was a guy over here called Dean Powell who was Frank Warren's matchmaker um, for many years. And he was a famous example that, that divided opinion in the industry of someone who'd never had the gloves on. Because he he showed up in London. He was from Birmingham way, the Midlands, okay? And he showed up in London in the late 80s, mm -hmm. early 90s kind of watershed period. And he 
said to initially he went to the Royal Oak in Kenning Town in East London where Terry Lawless had his stable of, of the likes of Frank Bruno and John H. Tracy and Curtin Lang and Jim Watt, all the rest yeah. of it. And he said he wanted to shadow somebody, you know, could he shadow somebody who knew what they were doing? And he was allowed to shadow Jimmy Tibbs, who was one of our most successful, you know, professional coaches we've ever had, oh, you know, emanate from, from the UK, who trying to hold load of, you know, a bunch of world champions, European what champions. Was, it, was his nickname Mr. Tibbs? We've been through this one before, yeah. We we did we you did that gag before. It's yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and the main thing is, as long as it amuses you, then what? Then it has a value. You know? <laughs> the fact that you remember that, I actually thought I was saying it for the first time. <laughs> yeah, you did. It's it's going to become a red flag every time I mention Jimmy Tibbs. But in any case. Jim yeah. Powell shadowed Jimmy Tibbs for, for a while. He was allowed to do that, you know. And then he he then he started uh, initially sweeping up, you know, brushing up at a gym called the Thomas Beckett, which is an iconic gym in South London on the Old Kent Road, a very yeah. famous road in South London. Yeah. And uh, and he just watched everything and absorbed everything and got involved. And you know, he shadowed people and all the rest of it. And as before long, he rose to prominence. And my, my, because my dad and I used to see him at the gym when I would train there. And then next minute you'd see him in the corners of people like Michael Watson and, and stuff like that, you know, and he'd be at these big events. Yeah. And uh, and some people love and then he then he forged a relationship with Frank Warren and became his matchmaker, which is a powerful yeah. position, yeah. particularly when Frank Warren was numero uno in this country, not Eddie Hearn, and before the second wave of matchroom revolutionizing took over. Mm -hmm. And uh, and you know, Dean was a very powerful, connected man in British boxing. If you wanted something done in British boxing in that landscape, yeah. you could you know, you'd normally find you'd be talking to Dean Powell. Yeah. And but obviously some people were saying, you know, that well he's never boxed and how can he be training people? He trained Amir Khan when when Amir Khan sacked his first professional yeah. trainer, Oliver Holt. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Oliver Harrison, I think Oliver Holt was something else. I think he's a, a writer or a musician or something. Yeah. yeah, he sacked his first trainer who brought him an yeah. honor You know, boxing uh, such a low entry fee though, in order yeah. to get in like high school basketball has more uh, rigorous demands of their coaches than than boxing. Well, yeah. do you feel uh, there's an example, right? I went to see Creed three last night. Okay, yeah. Now, <laughs> yeah. The, there's a chick in it called the Mick Queen. She's on Instagram as the Mick Queen. I don't know her name, but she's yeah. all over Instagram doing this fest stuff. And your friend of mine, Kathy Dublin, because I do that kind of pads with her as part of her PT. Yeah. She's been watching this chick and getting quite excited and going on about the Mick Queen all the time. The Mick Queen, <laughs> and then she said, "Oh my God, the Mick Queen's in Creed three. I've got to go see it." Uh, but. It's funny, isn't it? Because that chick's yeah. been all over Instagram doing this fast pad work. And blah, 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 yeah, blah, blah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Um, and now she's in a major motion picture where she must have got paid yeah. you know, yeah. reason but, handsomely for that. Yeah, but you know what? But still, that doesn't qualify her to be anything but... The McQueen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but okay, she so probably we will. I haven't seen her training fighters, although she may do. I haven't taken an exhaustive interest yeah. in her. But mm -hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if she rises to some kind because some fighters in camps now they have a pad person, don't they? They have a pad, yeah, yeah, or, yeah, absolutely, or, or a McQueen in this yeah. instance, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> well, I guess Mitt King is open if anybody wants to. There was a guy called the Mitt Master, his name was Coach Rick, who was uh, he died unfortunately tragically a couple of years back, but. But he was another one who it was the mythologist and all that. And I know George Hanson Jr. from Philly, he hates all that with a passion. He keeps saying, any of you padmasters and mythologists, if you call yourself, 
Iceman John Scully says it too. He says, if you call yourself like a Mick Queen or a mythologist, you know squat about boxing, you're automatically removed from the court yeah. of serious credibility in the fight game. That's the way he feels about it, you know. Unfortunately, boxing is never boxing is never the boxer's sport. It's always somebody else. And it's generally somebody that has some money or has got like a shtick, like a mid-queen or whatever. And and yes, you may sweat from it and all the rest of that kind of stuff, but it just doesn't translate to the sport, as we've talked about before. It well, see, I, that's why I didn't like Howard Cosell much either. I mean, you 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 got a more kind of a benign view of him and you're like, well, no, he was iconic and it was something that fighters wanted them to call their fights and he was part of that. He was part of that whole phenomenon, which was obviously happened when you were in your yeah. formative years. Yes, yes. I, I thought Howard was another one of those guys who's sitting at the top table with a license and a platform to speak who didn't know what he was talking about. That's the way I see it. I don't, I, don't get me wrong. I don't hate him. No, no, no. I, I understand exactly where you're coming from with Howard Cosell. With Howard, like I said, he wasn't an expert. I didn't expect anything, any expert points from him at all, and I didn't think he pretended to be that. I thought he just added a kind of like a flow, like a, the everyday guy's vision of how the fight is like i obviously believe that you need and that's why they have fighters behind the mics now too someone pointing out what is what is happening why it's happening how it happened and etc he wasn't that guy he was just that one guy who was like who just sit there and, and like he he, uh, he almost could be on the radio talking to you right? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah yeah and he yeah. was that kind of guy that just sort of like how two guys would sit there, watch a fight, and this guy would be talking in your ear. Oh, he just did that. Oh, my God. And he'd be reacting like like, like a fan, really. And that's what yeah. he was. And that's what I appreciated about him. I didn't. I knew he'd never fought before. I knew that he would never, you know what I mean? He, he couldn't say, he couldn't say, well, Ali, how, do you, how come you threw your jab like that? Why didn't you lock your wrist when you threw yeah. your jab? Imagine if he did say that. That'd be funny. But, uh, <laughs> exactly. Well, I had have said that. But that's because... Customato said he couldn't listen to him. He'd be like, I cannot listen to him. He would turn the sound down. Very, very yeah. purist and very grouchy about it. Cust was yeah. like, I cannot possibly listen to that clown calling fights. Yeah, I'd yeah. rather sit a picture. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I said, I suppose I would liken it to the way Harry Carpenter, I have affection for him, the old great British broadcaster, mm -hmm. who didn't know boxing from badminton, bless him. But he was a great broadcaster with a great voice. And a, he had a lovely nature, yeah. a very likable man. Yeah. And he was also a good interviewer, which I think Howard was actually was a good interviewer, just mm -hmm. not a great commentator on, on action yeah, as yeah. it was unfolding. You know what I mean? In a ring. Yes. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, with it doesn't look like we're going to get Lou Delvell this week. At yeah. 40, yes. I to think that that we've had a misfire with this one, but we're yeah, you know, really sorry to anybody that, that dialed into the show and and we weren't able to bring Lou on. Um, he must. He must, uh, I don't know, computers are tricky these days. I don't know. We talked just yesterday and everything was all systems go. So there must be something wrong. Um, you know, tomorrow, mm -hmm. Connor Bain. Have you heard of Piers Morgan, by the way? Have you heard of it? Yeah, I heard about his interview. Didn't he interview him, Piers Morgan? Yeah, they've already done it, I'm guessing. I guess it's taped and it's in the can. It is screening yes. tomorrow. I, I don't watch regular TV. I just watch, yeah. I have a. Funny enough, I'm moving into a new pad tomorrow, so I, if I can get the TV up, I'll be able to, to maybe to stream it somehow. But and why don't um, you watch your TV, Ben? Why don't you watch real? Uh, I don't not watch normal TV. I just I have a smart TV, yeah, um, which I watch YouTube on. I watch 
uh, I have a cinema app where I can download any show or film I want to, pretty much. Uh-huh. Uh, so I watch, you know, so I can watch Sopranos or I can watch The yeah. Godfather of Harlem. I can uh-huh. watch YouTube forever. Yeah. I'll watch, you know, I watch Family Guy and American Dad and stuff like that, animation. <laughs> but I don't watch the news. I do not yeah. watch the news. I don't watch the th- ordinary TV, you know, or soap operas or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Over this, over this side of the water. But so I watch what I want to watch, you know what I mean? But what it means is if if Piers Morgan actually has a show which is on one of the terrestrial channels, mm-hmm. I'm technically not supposed to watch that because I told them what I did and they said, Okay, you don't need to pay the license fee because you're not you're not using terrestrial television. So yeah. as long as you don't watch terrestrial TV, you're cool, they said. And they yeah. gave me a two year dispensation just to watch what I watch. So I've <laughs> all, since I got sober I've felt worse about being dishonest. So I've I've only downloaded a program once from from the <laughs> iPlayer since they said that, you know. But I want to watch this Piers Morgan thing tomorrow, which has already been recorded, no doubt. Because yeah. I do think other people might be getting bored with the story and other people might be saying, you know, well, we know he's a cheat and it's that cut and dried. I think it is in the boxing public interest what transpires here. And it's not just a domestic issue, I don't feel, in boxing. So I want to see... Piers Morgan is reasonably famous for grilling people, although obviously he picks his targets, no doubt. But um, I want to see him taken to, to, taken to task in yeah. the here and now, I'm just tweeting back and forth and making statements. I, I, don't, I don't think he's gonna. I don't think he's gonna take Ben to task on this, and I think he's not gonna take him to task because he doesn't understand boxing, so he wouldn't know like the right questions to ask him. You know what I mean? Like he won't go at it the right way. Like I think, I think to get into it, you first of all you have to come at him like. I don't know. Hit him on a, on a on a more personal level, like for, you know, first on his relationship with his father, and did his father know about these kinds of things? And and um, at any point, because he he didn't he failed the test more than once, twice, about yeah. six weeks apart from each other. Yeah. Uh, do you know what though? Because <laughs> the WBC, after all that waiting time. Yeah. And the allusions to a 270-page dossier that have been submitted to them, the WBC, yeah. as part of that to assist with their investigation. Mm-hmm. All they came back with was, yes, we can't deny that he failed these two tests, but we don't think there was any sinister intent and we don't think there was any deliberate ingestion. We accept, Come on. Yeah, well, and we accept that it could, be a, could have been down to an elevated consumption of eggs. Now, Ben, when he made this uh, statement earlier this week, he said he was actually a little miffed by the WBC's wording. And he said, I'm, he said ultimately, I'm happy they've cleared me. He said, but no, he's disputing he ever failed these tests. He is calling the testing procedure into question. He claims that he passed the, never mind UCAT test, he passed the VADA test initially. He says they were retested nine days later. That's when they came back bad. Yeah. And he's saying that's highly irregular. He says he wanted the B samples tested. He didn't say anything about eggs. He said, no, I don't think I failed these tests. And I don't. I, he he was not at all satisfied with them saying oh, it was probably the eggs. Don't worry about it, son. Yeah. Um, he's saying no. I think I've been wrongly declared, you know, guilty of something of failing a drug test, which he thinks he didn't fail in reality. That's what he's saying. So that's what I want to see. I want to see what he says tomorrow, or what he's already said, which will be screened tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, I, <clears throat> these kinds of things weren't a consideration really when I was coming up. They may have existed, but you just didn't know it. That's for sure. Nobody spoke about drug performance of hands drugs in a locker room when you were boxing, no? Never. No, no, never. And they they obviously were, were there because from what I in understand. Sorry? They were there in athletics. They were in athletics. They were in other athletics. And, and quite possibly, like many people thought they were like 
with the Russian boxing team or Eastern European boxing teams at that time. That Germans. They were, yeah, the Germans and stuff that they were being used back then. But um, but it, it was never a discussion with, you know, Western Hemisphere country, USA, Canada, whatever. It was never a, a, a point of discussion. And I mean, I, I'm not, I'm so uninformed on metabolics and all the rest of that kind of stuff and performance enhancing drugs that I should, I should be a little bit more cautious when I say he did or didn't or whatever my feelings were, because I don't know, like we all speak out of our, what we know of human nature. And, and sometimes it's, we just go to the reflex, you know what I mean? So yeah, it does have to take its journey through the correct course and, but as long as people question them properly, like, and he's not afraid to answer those questions, and and they don't leave you puzzled. Puzzled. There should be a clean, definitive feeling of resolution by the time he's finished answering the question. There shouldn't be any like shadows in your and answer. You know, he's talking about uh, bringing a civil action against the border control, a legal action, to the tune of three point five million pounds. Now, if he was able to mount successfully mount such an action, I can't see anything other than the board caving in under the under the you know the, the damage of that kind of uh, award, because I don't think they've got three. I mean, I, I could be wrong. Well, but well, here's, yeah, here, here's the thing: once you, once you start, when you start throwing money at a problem, then it's a matter of like whoever has the most money is right. And exactly, that, and that's what's wrong about it. You know what I mean? It's like, because you can hire these lawyers, they're, they're super lawyers, and they'll ask questions and they'll just keep this thing on the docket for so long that, you know, they'll they'll just outspend you. And that's that's the answer. You know what I mean? And it's... Yeah. And, and, and that could technically, Michael, that mm -hmm. could technically fold boxing in this country, worst case scenario, you know, yeah, certainly yeah. as we know it, you know, in terms of the organisation, because he can probably get licensed in the US, so that's probably the favourite, you think it'd be his favourite choice outside of the UK... You know, uh, but and and his career can can still progress the way they intended it to, more or less. Although I do question how much of an attraction he is outside of the UK. To be quite honest with you, but if if the board went under, because the board nearly went under when Michael Watson sued them for 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 negligence when he became life, you know, his life changing injuries he suffered in the Chris Eubank yeah. scene the rematch, uh, and it was Frank Warren who came to the rescue. Uh, in actual fact which is why people said Warren always had a great leverage with the board because he basically saved saved their asses when Michael Watson sued them. Certainly well, he, they he sued them for what? For not stopping the fight no, on? There was no, no ambulance present. <clears throat> Ambulances and paramedics didn't have to be present at a show until then. Really? Before that, you were calling ambulance. Same thing with Willie Claston. You remember those guys who died in New York around that period? Willie Claston, yes. Yeah, Willie Claston in 1979. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so against Wilfred Sipion, right? Uh, at, the, yeah. at the Felt Forum. So uh -huh. they they, they had, you know what they flagged an ambulance down in the street that night. They didn't no. they didn't have to have one at the venue after Willie Classen in New York State. They did have to have one. So he, yeah. he his martyrdom is, is is been very important. Yes. Same thing with Michael Watson. Same thing. You didn't have to have your paramedics an ambulance or two ambulances. You definitely didn't have to have. So they could have got Michael Watson to the Royal London quicker than they did from White Hart Lane in Tottenham, North London, <clears throat> and uh, he sued them for the. For the fact that it was proven that they were negligent in not providing that before before it became law. Wow. Yeah. I'm, so I don't know what to say about and, that. And they, and they used to be based in London. Their offices were, were like in central London, swanky part of London, right? 
Then they had to. That's why they were in Cardiff today in Wales. You know, as, they had to move to Cardiff because it was more cost effective. But as a, as a fighter, I, I would say, as a you're you're every time you step in the ring, you kind of know that. I, I mean, and I can I can argue myself. I can argue this thing to death with myself. You know what I mean? But it's almost like as a fighter, you know that when you get in the ring, these things are on the. You know what I mean? They're on the line. The fact that you could be injured or killed is is obviously. Uh, sure, an, an but you're not. Moment. I guess he's not suing the board based on the fact that I didn't realize this might happen. What he's saying is there was not sufficient sufficient medical care and expertise on site yeah. as there should be. Now it's yeah. the rigueur; it's normal. Back then, it wasn't. Yeah. And I guess it takes things to go wrong for things to reform, doesn't it? And that, that's what yeah, I was absolutely, absolutely right. I get it now. I love that French word, de rigueur. Yeah, de rigueur. It's it's a French phrase, right? And it, I believe yeah, it, it, I believe yeah. it means yeah. the done thing. I think yeah. I'll have to get a proper translation, but I think it's the done thing. And, and you don't roll the R either, which makes it even better. It's, yeah, it's legit. It See, it's lovely. funny, you know. Um, they the said in Ko Magazine, uh -huh. interesting interview that when you were in Ko Magazine with the Ko uh -huh. interview, your first one, they said this might be the first Ko interview in which you may have had to have a dictionary close at hand, right? Because of you. Are you admitting that you've met your match all these years down the line? Yeah, I, I, you know what I mean? I, you yeah. definitely got it over me. I don't use you got it. <laughs> your linguistic yeah. school, your linguistic skills are uh non parallel. Par yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good one. Teach me, Ben. Teach me. Yeah. What is it? <laughs> yeah, okay, we can work on that, you know, small steps, small steps. As as Jesse Reed said to Frank Tate as he was getting better by Michael Nunn in the yeah. in the in the penultimate round, he said, short, quick steps, short, quick steps. And for the <laughs> life of me, I've never understood what he was actually suggesting he do. Honest yeah. to God, I, I don't I think he was just trying to inspire him. But yeah. you saw oh, the you way mean, that Michael Nunn was reaching. He's trying to inspire Nunn, or he was trying to inspire Tate. Who who was it? Sorry. He was trying to inspire Tate. Jesse Reed oh, was trying to Jesse tell him. Reed. Oh, got it, yeah. You saw how Michael Nunn tied him in knots and deranged him, Frank Tate, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Now, just before the last round, which was the ninth, so between the eighth and the ninth rounds, he was saying, you've got him, he's all yours, son. You've never quit anything in your life. And he kept saying, short, quick steps. And I, and I, I found it kind of comical at the time because I remember thinking, when you've got problems of that nature in the ring with someone who is so obviously your master, yeah. Short, quick steps are really unlikely to help, unless they're short, quick steps backwards. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's, yeah, that's really interesting. Again, I guess it goes to the fact that it's about the hands, not your feet. You know what I mean? <laughs> it just yeah, yeah, you, yeah. It does uh, tie into your logic that. Yeah. See, but the, I but do think it's all. I do think it really matters about the balance and the bass and the rhythm. So you make me think about these things because usually people are let me get away with this till the cows come home. If yeah. I say I'm holding court in the gym or whatever, I'll say it's all about rhythm and balance. Sugar uh -huh. Robinson said it was. You're not going to argue with him because uh -huh. um, he was the greatest fighter ever, right? No, sure. says Silk. You know, and then you'll they'll say it's all about the feet. It's all about rhythm and balance. So Silk says no. Rhythm's only when it's going good. Time yeah. is what you need when the chips are down. So. Obviously, this feeds in, and I and I kind of yeah. I don't accept everything you say as gospel. Same thing about the body shots that they don't necessarily slow you down. I, I'm, but there is this quandary in my mind ever since you've said those things. Well, I'm still now figuring it out for the next few years before uh -huh. I arrive at a definitive conclusion. Because <clears throat> you say body shots do not 
stay with you. They simply yeah. test your conscious pain threshold. You exactly. say it's not about the feet, it's about the core. Yeah. You say it's not about rhythm. Rhythm is rhythm is cool, but rhythm is not the essence. It's actually timing. Yeah. What else you say? And you say Ali is greater than Robinson. Is there anything I missed? That that's that's fair. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Let me see what else do I say. Um, uh, hmm. I say silk twice as sweet as chocolate milk. Let me see. Yeah, yeah, that's a, <laughs> a good one. Um, <laughs> I, is that I, ever been proven, or is that just more of a kind of your? Is that your kind of your personal truth? Uh, yeah, that's I've I've been told. Yeah, okay. It's very <laughs> difficult to it's very difficult to assess chocolate milk, isn't it? In, in terms of in speed terms. Yeah, exactly. No, I don't I don't say it myself. You have to understand that this isn't a tag that was that I gave myself. You know, this is a tag that had been given me. So yeah, who said well, who, who might argue? Then? Who might argue? Uh, Ali started all that. Ali started. <laughs> The whole rapper kind of that whole kind of rapper kind of consciousness in boxing yeah. before rap music started. Mm -hmm. Ali had that kind of rap. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't believe anyone was was doing that kind of stuff before him. You know, and, and it was as simple as rhyming, I guess, to begin with. Yeah, from the, yeah. You know, he definitely spoke in poetry. You know what I mean? He was like a like a a, a, a boxing Dr. Seuss. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you and know. He, Writing poems when he was 18, even in the Olympics, he was writing poems back then. Uh, I mean, yeah. he said something. There was that poem he made after he won the gold medal, and he was saying that that the the Italians, the Romans, asked him to stay, and he said, "No, the USA is my country still." And they yeah. went in to greet me in Louisville, and and he was he was full of it back then. Never mind, yeah. you know, more well known and um, and older. You know, somebody like Ali is is somebody that really like he everything he loved life. He loved energies. He loved meeting people. He got inspiration yeah. off people. You know what Angelo and Dee said? They were talking about Zaire, which was pretty tough, pretty rough trip for a lot of the team, both teams and the journalists. When they got the six-month, six-week postponement because Foreman got a cut eye inspiring. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. A lot of the journalists were fed up of the place because it was pretty threadbare. And there, mm -hmm. and there was it was a dictatorship as well, so they were feeling a little edgy. <clears throat> Foreman hated it there. Uh, his whole time in Africa, he hated it. But he, and and Dundee was getting fed up of the place. Bondini wasn't too happy with it, and, and so on and so on. And he said, Dundee said, the only guy who doesn't seem to care is Muhammad. Every day is like yeah. a new toy to him, you know. And I've always loved that notion. I've always tried yeah. to live my life best I can like that. Yes. Every day is like a new toy to him. Yeah. And that yes. is, if, if, if you can live that way or even half that way and up yeah. to that essence, then yeah. you'll be a happy person and your time will not be wasted, you know? Well, you know, and that's why Ali was never one of these guys that worried about money, where it was coming from, where when he was going to have it again. He knows he is his own bank machine. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, that's and, and also, that was what Norman Mailer said. You say he's his own bank machine and there's yeah. a limit to how pear-shaped you can ever go for him, really. And he, yeah. he Norman Mailer also said Ali is a product of his own raw material. Yeah. And when, when he was going through the histronics before the fight, talking, he was comparing his record to, to Foreman's. And he was saying, look, 
I thought, you know, rank contenders in my only like my third fight, I fought tough opponents. And he was going through, then he was looking at Foreman's opponents like Dom Waldheim, a nobody, uh, <laughs> somebody hunter, a no, uh, that's it. Sorry, he was talking about this guy's nobody, this guy, you know, is a nobody. Then he got to a guy called Hunter Clay. He said, wait a second, he might be good. <laughs> it was on a performance record. But, but while he was going through all this, Mailer wrote in that book, The Fight, he said, what a wall of ego Ali's will has erected over the years. And he's uh, it, it, just an amazing person on another level, no question. You know what I mean? Regardless regardless of what people feel about the Robinson-Ali debate inside the ring. In terms of, I don't think there's ever been... I've certainly never found somebody in, in a human embodiment who, who, who encapsulated so much inspiration as they just simply walked around. I, I see him when he took the wouldn't take the draft. He took the stand against the draft. There's a picture of him looking really kind of dignified in a dark conservative suit on the steps of the Supreme Court building. And mm-hmm. there's protesters there against him and for him with, with banners. And I see he winks at the people who are, who are in his corner. And there was just something so inspirational about the, just that one tiny flicker of the eye as he stands yeah. there tall mm-hmm. and strong against yeah. against the forces that are trying to consume him. You know what I mean? There, there, yeah. There's nothing. There's Ali and there is the yeah. rest. Let's be honest. Yeah. There is. Yeah. yeah, there is really. I mean, his, his, um, just the mind, the way in which it worked, the way in which he absorbed things. And it wasn't a superficial thing. It was real. Like he, he wore his soul, his love on his sleeve. And that, and yet... It's almost like he he wear it for you to see, and it's very like it's very um, his emotions were very raw, like his feelings were very raw, very sensitive. Yet he was able to like when someone makes a stab at it, he was able to like you know like turn him with a punch. He was able to make it miss. He wear his heart for you. Yet if you're coming to get it, he could move away from it. I, you know? I, I, and I, there's a parable. It may not be true. I mean, I'm always. I can be a bit of a killjoy, as you know, sometimes, because because I'm quite keen on debunking myths that are quite attractive <laughs> myths, you know. Yeah. And I will jump on and be like, "Never happened, silk." It was all shot yeah. in studios, moon landings, you know, whatever. Yeah. But um, but I hope this is true. It's it's in his ghost of autobiography that came out in 1976 when he was getting ready to fight Jerry Quarry in October 1970 in Atlanta, and uh, it, he'd had such you know a lot of problems trying to get licensed to fight again ever since 1967. When it was all starting to happen, he was getting some hate mail from racists and, and, and the like and detractors. And somebody sent him a parcel that had a black boxer doll with a noose around his neck. Because um, you could get Ali dolls and it might have been one of them even, yeah. I don't know. But yeah. it was a black boxer doll in that package with a noose around his neck. And Ali, in the book, in the way he described it, he said it wasn't a bad likeness, although not as pretty as me. But he took the noose. He took the noose off this thing's neck and then gave it to one of his kids to play with, which I think is beautiful. I, I hope it happened. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, um, the, the man's. I, I believe his stories. Like every single day of his life is probably a story. Like something's always happening, and um, this is the kind of attention that he would draw, and this is the kind of you know adulation he would he would draw. And I'm sure, like at one point in the future. I don't know when somebody's going to come out with something like talking about all the dark sides of Ali um, and things that happened, but no way can it counteract. I mean, that would just put that book, Ghost of Manila, Ghost of Manila by Mark Cram. He he says Ali was a selfish egomaniac, and he was he was a dumb guy who was profited by you know a race hate sect. He, he he gives it a big one. He gives it his best shot. I tell you that. But you know what's curious? Stuff that's going to do it. I don't think. What, what's curious to me about that book is that I enjoyed it 
to an extent. Because you might think, I'd be like, I'm not reading that. If people start telling me Hagler was robbed and Leonard lost that fight, I get really annoyed. And I will excommunicate people for that. You yeah. know, and I, I've got no tolerance for it whatsoever. But mm. an assault on my idol in Ali's entire being and character, I actually found it interesting, although I didn't agree with much of it. I thought mm -hmm. it was a brave book to an extent because it was going against the tide. You you could say it's not a brave book. You could say it's an easy cheap shot because you're yeah. going to get a degree of attention because you're going against that tide and against the stream. Yeah. So yeah. maybe you and plus the fact he'd had access to Ali for many years, so there was an element of betrayal, perhaps. Yeah. Know, because I'm yeah. sure Ali granted yeah. him that good grace, but but yeah. he was saying he made Ali look as bad as you could in the book. Interestingly yeah. enough, but you know what? That is just not the whole truth. And what you're doing. Even though many of the things in the book might be true, um, you, what you're doing is taking a de desperately negative perception of something which is much, much, much bigger than that. Yeah, yeah, and I think people understood that. I mean, you 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 see it in Ali's nature. You see it in his his love of life, his love of human beings. Black and white kids. Not, yeah, yeah, everything. Don't tell me he was a racist. I've seen yeah, him no. white babies and kids. Yeah, 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 and, yeah exactly. It's on his heart. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's just there's just absolutely no way that that he was that, and there's nothing anyone could say to he 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 would espouse he would say some of the stuff that you know a lot of like vitriolic leaders would say, and he'd re kind of repeat it. But you know, at the same time, he's like he's 26, 27, and you know you hear and things. Younger. I mean, he was younger at one point when he was saying that stuff, and, and yeah. he did say some dodgy things about race and gender <laughs> relations. He said something. He you know you've probably seen the famous statement he made to Victor Bocchus when he's in his thirties when he said. No white or black person in their right mind wants kinky haired, you know, blue haired yeah. Negroes or whatever he whatever yeah. he said. He didn't yeah, mix, yeah. Race mixing was wrong, you know. He did, we didn't want these racial hybrids, and mm -hmm. it didn't make sense. And he mm -hmm. would say, to, he said to the writer, he said, "I believe in integration. We integrate now." He said, "But I ain't gonna go drinking with your woman. That's taking it too far." But I don't believe that. But I still love Ali. That you know, Ian Probert is a good writer. There's a book I'm going to get for you, right? It's called Rope Burns by a friend of mine called Ian Probert. I'm mm -hmm. sure you will love the book. Okay. But he says he talks about Ali, and he says, "Listen, at the end of the day, I could be availed unequivocally of the knowledge that he put babies on spikes and barbecued them." He said, "And in no way would it dumb my blind adoration for the man. He is inside of me, and that's yeah. kind of how I feel." Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I feel, I feel the same way. I, I um, he's a unique individual and he's real, and you know, and then real means he'll have interactions and say things that he sh probably shouldn't have said at certain times. And I'm sure he, you know, we all look back at times and say, "I wish I wouldn't. I wish I could take that back." But you know, gen generally, um, this is the measure of Ali is the measure of a man. I think men that are able to stick to their words and influence on a nonviolent platform, um, the change that he's been able to elicit, bring in, bring forth, you know, the, the level of his level of, of excellence brought in a lot of like acceptance. His excellence yeah. brought in acceptance and well, Things I mean, he, so different when he came around. When he started, things were so different. And I think, I don't think you can underestimate the amount of black empowerment he created culturally. And, oh, just, and just, it's just said yeah. that yeah. when he said people were saying that black people were not getting acknowledged for their aesthetics or for their looks back then. And yes. when he said, I'm pretty, he, some people have theorized he was really saying black is beautiful. Yeah. And it was something that needed saying then because there just really was not an equal playing field. 
for that kind yeah. of um you know yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and and it was it was also like you take what's given you right the, the you take you as a black man as a black kid you take what's given you you never say well i want more or can i have that or yeah. i want something different you don't say that you just take what's given you shut up shut up and go your way and ali was like well you're giving that to me but i know there's something more than that and he caused he caused not only black people but everybody to ask questions of you know, question what you're being given and why you're being, why is it being given to you and how come you're not having more of that or why am I having including, that? Including your name, right? <laughs> yeah, everything, yeah, everything, the whole thing. Yeah. You, know, you know what I mean? So, so, um, you know, I don't know, I just think he's an exceptional human being and not without fault. I'm sure there's some skeletons in there that are deeper buried and haven't been brought up and things are going to yeah. come out later on too. But um, you see his love and his intent is pure and that's kind of the most important thing. Absolutely. Um, I think we've done pretty good this week considering we, you know, um, we didn't get our guests, which we're hoping to get. Um, yeah, we to it was, but um, but that's, you know, that's the second time that's happened. It happened with Chris Bird, and it happened with. Uh, it did happen with Chris Bird, yeah. It, yeah. We, well now. We, know, have kind of, we have to kind of like get um, boxers. How could we lock them into this? Like, so, because this can't be an ongoing thing. It's not good for our business. It's not good. Uh, I guess we we will have to discuss that because I, I I personally think it's pretty simple. Clicking that link, I mean, because. Yeah. If it if it wasn't if it was that complex, then we wouldn't be doing it hard. I don't suppose, but I certainly, I certainly would. Exactly. I was going to say more. I was thinking more. You, yeah. If you can do it, then <laughs> then it's got to be pretty simple. Um, listen, Michael, it's been a pleasure as always. Anyway, we can chop it up. No one can ever deny that, regardless yeah. of anything else. Guys, we hope you've enjoyed this impromptu conversation between myself and Michael and Silkalaje this week. Don't forget, we are brought to you exclusively by Ace Podcast Nation. You can get involved and support that platform via Patreon. We will be back next Sunday, with or without a guest. In the meantime, be lucky. Keep punching. Yep. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.